Inter Miami suffered a second consecutive ugly defeat, and that has set up what just might be the biggest game of the season. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, aka Miami Total Football Radio. I am coming to you from Atlanta, site of Inter Miami's next game. My name is Franco Panizo. I am half of the co-hosting team of this podcast, the number one podcast on Inter Miami, providing you all the news, analysis, opinions, updates, and more on the team. And joining me once again, we have officially triggered the buy option in his loan deal, is Jose Armando. Jose, how are you doing? How is South Florida on this fine Tuesday afternoon? I'm good, Franco. It's good to be back. Um, well, it's a nice day, a little bit too hot. I, I would say I would be a lot happier by, by now if I would have been able to get my PS5 this morning. <laughs> I was very close, very, very close. But as soon as I got everything ready on my cart, I noticed that I was trying to buy a bundle and that is not going to work for me. So um, I'm all right. I'm, I'm a little excited. Not a little. I'm very excited about the podcast because I think we have a lot to talk about. And uh, oof, what a game. What a game coming up for Inter-Miami. It's a massive game. And the more I've thought about it, the more I've like talked to people about it, I'm like, this is a huge game. And I don't know if it's a make or break for the rest of the season, but it's. I think it's going to be very influential in how things play out the rest of the way. Because if they get a win on Wednesday, they, they help close the gap. They're right in the playoff picture again. If they lose, the gap widens a little bit more, and they're going to have an even bigger uphill climb for the remainder of the season. So it's a, it's a pretty big game. I actually, side note, on the flight here, which I flew out Monday night, I actually ended up with two Inter-Miami fans next to me, and they didn't have any Inter-Miami gear on or anything of the like, and we didn't talk until like the last half hour of the two-hour flight from South Florida, but the guy that was next to me was a couple, a young couple, and the guy sitting next to me, I could tell he wanted to talk, and then I see his phone is out, and his phone had my Twitter handle on there, and he says, hey, are you Frank? Oh, I was like, yeah, yeah. So we got into a big conversation uh, about the team and and what they thought of the team they were super super knowledgeable about the team and the ins and outs they have their opinions on Pizarro and Higuain's relationship something we'll touch on later in the podcast they also had just their overall opinion on, on the direction of the team and how it's done this season under Phil Neville and though maybe the most interesting part of it was that they're not even flying to Atlanta for the game they actually live in Pensacola and they're going. They were going to catch a connecting flight to Pensacola because that's where they. I think I believe they go to school there and they live there. But they're from South Florida and, and they follow the team very, very closely. So very nice couple, very knowledgeable. Shout out to them for for having some some minutes there of talking some football. That was pretty pretty fun to do there on the flight. I don't know how the rest of the passengers felt um, about us talking soccer for so long. But shout out to Jackie and shout out to Holy Hallman. Shout out to them both. It was very nice to meet you guys on this trip to Atlanta. So, Jose, we're going to touch on some of the things that I spoke to them about. We're going to touch on this game coming up against Atlanta United. We're also going to recap and review and analyze the 5-1 defeat to Nashville SC. And we'll do the Q&A session at the end as well. We'll stick with the formula that we've been doing as of late with uh, the next game coming up going first since the window between when this pod comes out and that game kicks off being very very tight so jose you ready i'm ready let's go all right brother let's get to it jose as we know inter miami versus atlanta united two teams in the eastern conference that didn't start the season in a very good manner they both improved their form they're both in the thick of the playoff push now atlanta united is currently in Eighth place, so just below the the red line in the Eastern Conference. They have 36 points from 26 matches. Inter-Miami is on 32 points from 25 matches, so that's a four-point difference. Montreal right now, CF Montreal is currently in the final playoff spot in seventh with 37 points from 26 games. So this is a very big game just from a you know, number standpoint. Obviously, the two teams are trying to push and get themselves in position to, to get a playoff spot. How big of a game do you consider this one for Inter-Miami, as well as for Atlanta United, but more so for Inter-Miami because of the, the positionings in the standings, how many games remain in the season for each team. And they call these six-pointers because they're direct competitors for a playoff spot. So how important is this match for Inter-Miami? 
Well, listen, I, I think this is an early playoff game for, for, for Inter-Miami. Um, hopefully it's not the last one because um, I, I think the team, um, they, they do have uh, a talent enough talent to compete at least for the last two spots in the, in the playoffs. And so um, I, I do believe this is this is a big, big game. And, and, um, and you, you described it perfectly because um, even if uh, moving past uh, Atlanta right now doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it to the playoffs, you actually have to move past at least right now two teams. In this case, uh, as the standings are right now, you have to move past Columbus and Atlanta. Where you want to be is where Montreal is right now. But of course, you don't you don't want to get ahead of yourself. You you have an opportunity to play later on against Columbus. Right now is Atlanta United. You have to try to win this game. I know it's on the road. I know it's a big game, but but it all starts with Inter Miami winning tomorrow night. So here's just some stats, right? Some stats, you know, people can make what they will of stats, but these are stats and I will present them to you. And, you know, we talked quite a bit about this game on Monday after the pregame press conferences in the press box at Drive Pink Stadium. And we, we had a, a nice chat. But here, here are some stats before we dive into it a little bit more. Inter-Miami has never lost to Atlanta United. Never. They have a two-win, three-draw, and zero-loss record. Inter-Miami has won in Atlanta one time. They did so on September 19th of 2020. Goals from Juan Agudelo and Brexhay in a 2-1 victory. And that was the only game in Atlanta that Inter-Miami has won to date. Again, it's early days, but those are numbers, concrete numbers that have happened. They played earlier this season in South Florida, and it was a 1-1 draw. In that one, Joseph Martinez and Lewis Morgan with the goals in that affair. So those numbers aside, Atlanta has been on a good run of form. They just lost over the weekend 1-0 on the road to the Philadelphia Union. Inter-Miami's coming off back-to-back blowout losses. We haven't really touched on that second game against Nashville FC yet. We'll do so in the second segment. But what do you expect from Atlanta United in this one? What do you expect from them as a team? They have... They're not the same team we saw back in, in on May 9th in South Florida. It's a different team. There's a new head coach. There's different players. They've been in a better way. What do you expect from Atlanta United in a game that, it has to be said, will be played for the first time at Mercedes-Benz against Inter-Miami with fans in the stands? Fans were not in the stands last year when they played. So this will be the first time that these two teams meet in Atlanta with supporters in the stadium. So what do you expect from Atlanta United in this one? Well, I expect them to be aggressive from the get-go because um, as it stands right now, they are the favorites to, to win this game. Um, we're talking about Inter-Miami having to get to three points because of the of the standings. But the reality is that this is a tough game for Inter-Miami, and so it all relies as well on what Atlanta brings to the table. If they are relaxed, if they believe a draw is more than enough for them to keep a safe dist- distance with Inter-Miami, then they can run in, in, into trouble. They have to be aggressive, and I think that's 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 how they're going to approach this game. With Gonzo Pineda, you know, the, the, the team changed a lot because um, it, it was clear uh, after Gonzo took over that the team wasn't very happy with the way Gabriel Hense was, Hense was running things there. And so... You know, uh, that happens in football. That's actually normal in a sense. Unfortunately, it is, but it is normal that when players don't like a head coach and you you bring somebody else um, that they actually like, players will will react differently to to a different uh, um, head coach. And so that's exactly what happened with them. I think they're making a push as well. But, you know, there's a lot of ground that they have to make from from the early in the season. It's going to be a challenging game. But knowing what's uh, what's at stake, I think you know it, it should be really exciting, a, a back and forth game. Before I jump into the team, I do want to talk touch on the the fans being in the stands because I don't think that's a minor detail. I think you know we, we know that Mercedes Benz gets packed and that the fans support the team. This is a midweek game, but still having that twelfth man, I think, will be a big plus for Atlanta United in this one. and something Inter-Miami is going to have to manage and, and obviously deal with. Now, diving into what Atlanta, the team, will provide on the field, Joseph Martinez is expected to be available for this one. He did not travel 
with Atlanta United over the weekend to Philadelphia. They were resting his knee, but news has come out that he will be available for this midweek match. Whether he starts or not, that's a decision Gonzalo Pineda will have to make. Or Pineda will have to make, but he will be available and in the 18. Luis Araujo, right? It's Araujo. Yeah. It's not Araujo. I, I, I have to train myself not to say Araujo because it's, 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 <laughs> it's a Brazilian uh, player, Portuguese pronunciation. So he's been brought into the fold as of late and he's helped make an impact. It's obviously his initial, initial steps into MLS, but a 25-year-old Brazilian attacker was playing in Europe before this. He's got quite a bit of talent. And I think his arrival has helped, you know, raise Atlanta United's level a bit. I don't think he's the only reason, but his arrival has helped. I think he's a danger man. I think that's someone Inter Miami has to focus on because if he gets going and he's able to to make an impact and either get an assist or a goal, it's going to put you in a in a tough spot, especially with that again the fan base being able to push the team on with energy and excitement. Luis Araujo, someone that they have to keep an eye on. Obviously, there's of course Ezequiel Barco, Marcelino Moreno. They have other players that can hurt you, but Araujo, for me, is the is the man to watch and the man to slow down. I imagine Phil Neville will be game-planning quite a bit for him. Brad Guzan had a big game as well against Philly. Um, listen, I think he had some pretty good saves. And, um, you know, that's a quality goalkeeper as well. Well, at least plenty of experience. I don't know if he... With with Atlanta United, I don't know if he was able to, to, the, to the level that he played uh, overseas, but, you know... He has plenty of experience. Uh, listen, I believe this game, Franco, to, to for Inter Miami, it's going to come down to counterattack opportunities. I think they should rely on what what they do well. Well, not exactly in the last two games, as I think about it. But, you know, the defensive effort obviously needs to be better, and that's I think that's what they do well. So maybe they're able to go back to that to what we saw in the six game stretch. And um, if you start with that and, and you're successful defensively, then you're going to have to look for counterattack opportunities. Uh, I would think this this could be a very important game for Lewis Morgan to go back to the Lewis Morgan from 2020 and be aggressive uh, on the right side. But do you think we're going to see that? Do you, but Jose, do you think we're going? I don't want to interrupt you, but do you think we're going to see that because he's been playing right wing back? If Inter Miami sticks with that five-man backline, which I imagine they will, I believe you also think that too. We talked, we touched on that on Monday when we talked in the press box. If they're going to stick with the five-man backline, he's going to have defensive responsibilities that don't necessarily free him up to do, have that much of an impact in the attack. So, can we expect Lewis Morgan to to have that type of influence? Given that we we he'll probably be playing at wing back, or is this more about the DPS? Because that's you know I asked Phil Neville about Iguain and Pizarro on, on Monday, and he said. All the DPs need to step up. All of them need to step up. And this is this is crunch time, and they have to help the yeah. team. So, because for me, it's on them more so than Lewis Morgan. We could talk about it, and and we will maybe at the end of the season why his production has dropped so much. I agree, he hasn't been the same player we saw a year ago. But I don't think this game is you know it's something where he has to step up. I mean, the whole team needs to step up. But I think it's more on the DPs. I agree with Phil Noble in that sense. But uh, you know, that, well, I'll just leave that there. The reason why I'm telling you this is because. If you look for counterattack opportunities, you don't necessarily point to Rodolfo Pizarro, Blaise Matuidi, or Gonzalo Higuaín. Right. If you look for a counterattack opportunity, you look for a little bit of pace, right? And that comes from the wings, whether it's Gibbs on the left, which, you know, he's not as quick as he, as he once was. But Lewis Morgan, he's capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you talk about players stepping up, taking it to the next level... In a big game like this one, maybe that's the motivation that Lewis Morgan needed to actually do that in a game. I think he's capable of doing it. And listen, right now he's doing an okay job defensively, but if he's able to step up offensively, you know, that will not only bring the level of the team up, but that will free up a lot of options in the middle for whether it's Pizarro there or, or, or Iwain. And that's something that maybe could surprise everybody else right now because it's not something that we're used to, but it's something that is on the table for Inter Miami. It's just they just haven't been able to take advantage of it. Jose, I agree with you fully that I think this is definitely going to be a counterattacking game for Inter Miami. I absolutely expect that to be their game plan and their approach. Lewis Morgan and Robbie Robinson are the fastest players for my money on this team, so 
they will have to be involved surely, but I don't know. I don't know if, if you know, one playing wing back, how much of an influence he's going to have. Robbie Robinson, I imagine, will be back in the starting lineup after not getting the nod on last Wednesday's game, in last Wednesday's game against Nashville SC. So I think they're going to counterattack. I think that's definitely the game plan, to be defensively solid, prioritize the defense first, and plugging in those holes. They'll still be missing Nicolas Figal for this one. They have Leandro Gonzalez-Pires back. He's back from suspension, but Figal will still be out, so they'll have to still deploy someone out of position there if they stick with the five-man backline, as I expect them to do, and as I'm sure I think you do as well. So I do expect them to counterattack, but I also think the DPs will have to deliver. Blaze Matuidi needs to have a good, good game in that middle of the park because you know his level has been very disappointing during much of his stay with Inter Miami. Gonzalo Higuain, he showed good effort last game. You have to have him repeat that and have him and, Gonz- and Rodolfo Pizarro, excuse me, have them try to find each other and combine in the same way that they did on the goal against Nashville LC, which was one of the very few bright spots of that game, but it was very impressive. The one-two pass, some good combination play there in the center of the field. One-two leads to a Gonzalo Higuain shot from the top of the box that hits the post and goes in. That's the type of plays you need from Inter-Miami be it on the counter or in the few moments you have, you know, strings of possession and can create attacking sequences. So you need your players to step up and deliver the biggest players, the ones that get paid the most to do so. So I think that will be what decides this game for Inter Miami. Because I think they're yeah. going to be I think they're going to be tight defensively. And and look, something else that we need to touch on here as we preview this game was what we saw on Monday at practice. A lot of players from the first team, or a handful, let's not say a lot, a handful we're not participating in the practice on Monday morning. Yeah. And, you know, Phil Neville said there's no injuries with regards to these these players, this group of players. They're just essentially giving them rest ahead of Wednesday. They don't want to risk them picking anything up. And that's because Inter-Miami right now is a very thin team. They're not very deep right now. They don't have many options on the bench. I think they have 16 or just north of 16 field players available that are healthy so you know they're down to the bare bones as Phil Neville has said on a couple of occasions Gonzalo Higuain, Federico Higuain, Jay Chapman, Blaise Matuidi those were four players that did not partake in the Monday session we saw a few of them off to the side just watching from the shaded part of the of the training facility but clearly Inter-Miami is up against it right now up against it they don't have many many options and they're clearly, like, you know, I think you said this on Monday as well. Jay Chapman and Blaise Matuidi are their only midfielders. Victor Yo is injured right now. They don't really have any other central midfielders. So I'm, I'm sure that they're putting them in bubble wrap and trying to make sure they're as comfortable as possible on the flight to, to Atlanta because if either one of them gets injured, they are in big trouble in the center of the park. So they're definitely, having, they're definitely trying to take care of these players. That definitely affects the preparation for this game. If you're not able to train as often or you know every day with the same amount of players or with the same players that you expect to use in the game that impacts your ability to to prepare right but that's the situation Inter Miami's faced with right now they do have enough though they do have enough if 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 everybody's okay and and we believe Phil in, in what he said on on Monday i think they still have enough to put out a competitive starting 11 and remember they do have fresh legs because they did not play over the weekend and probably, you know, Iguain and everybody else that was out on Monday, they probably train over the weekend. So yes. um, it's a good, I think it's a good decision, you know, to just give them a breather. Um, I think, you know, especially Gonzalo Iguain, um, he's going. He's going to be a very important player. Um, I really like what I saw in the last game, and, and we'll get to that when when we analyze the game. But I think he's becoming a leader for this team, and and you want you want him to be ready to play the full ninety minutes. And if and if that's what it takes, listen. I'm sure this is not the first time that happened to to Pipiti Wayne, and and he's going to know how to how to manage himself to be. Uh, at 100% for, for the game. So I think they still have enough. I think, you know, they, they have, with the system in place right now, I, I think players can help each other, especially defensively. Even if you make a mistake, they should be somebody nearby to help you out. So um, I think that was the right decision. 
No, I, I think, look, I think it's smart on the coaching staff. I just think it does alter your preparation. And, you know, they do have enough, as you said, but they just barely have enough. Like, if one of these players got injured, it would really, really impact their ability to, to field and have, a, you know, options on the bench and a starting lineup that can really, really try to maintain the good level that we saw before these two games. So I imagine Phil Neville is putting the likes of Jay Chapman, Blaze Matuidi, Gonzalo Higuain in bubble wrap and trying to get them to get to Wednesday in as good condition as possible so nothing happens to them. But we'll see how Inter-Miami does. Jose, what is the key to the game? Is it just the counterattacking? Is it being opportunistic? What, what do you think Inter-Miami has to do to win this one on Wednesday, at least get a draw, but obviously a win is the desired result. I think it all starts on defense. You have to be really good. You have to frustrate Atlanta with just not having control of the game, whether it's the score, whether it's the tempo, whether it's possession, uh, anything to make them uncomfortable, to make it, to make them think that you know they're not in control of the game. I think that's going to be key for for Inter Miami. Remember, you just have to get the three points. You, you don't have to play um, at the highest level in this game. If it's uh, a goal in the 90th minute and it's a penalty, if it's an own goal in the 80th minute or in the first minute of the game, it doesn't really <laughs> matter. Right. You just need the three points. And I think it all start it all starts with defense for Inter Miami. So hopefully they're able to get back to you know what they were doing well because obviously the track record in the past two games is not very favorable right now. But I think it all starts with defense. I agree with you. I think that's the key to the game: getting back to that level defensively that they were at prior to these two blowout defeats that they suffered. Getting back to being tough to beat, being tough to break down, being tough to create chances against. Getting back to that, that is crucial, that is key to give Inter-Miami a chance to win this one in some way, shape, or form, be it an opportunistic fashion or be a a lucky bounce, whatever it is, give yourself a chance because we've seen Inter-Miami when they leave themselves exposed at the back, they tend to have very rough days and very rough performances. So that defensive side is key. Obviously, they need goals to win this game, but... Try to keep that zero at the back for as long as possible and see if you can pluck one at the other end. You know, be it off a set piece at long last or, or whatever it takes. But the defensive part is the biggest factor for me. I agree with you on that, and I think that's what Phil Neville will emphasize going into this one. I don't think we'll see any surprises from Inter-Miami on Wednesday. I don't think they're going to come out and try to play toe-for-toe with LA United. I think just getting back to being grounded defensively is what's being stressed and what will be the game plan against this Atlanta United side on the road. Jose, any predictions for the lineup? Do you want to throw an 11 out there or any any changes we could see? Because I think Breck Schaefer, Kieran Gibbs is, for me, I think that's a likely switch. Kieran Gibbs did not look good to me in that Nashville SC game. Probably a result of him not being fit because he's coming off an injury. And Breck Shea maybe isn't the player that overwhelms you but I think he can do the job. He has shown he can be solid and and do a competent job there at the left wing back spot. So I think he gets the nod there. Who starts in the five man back line if they stick with that? Obviously, Christian McCoon is going to be going to be on the left uh, center back spot. I imagine Leandro Gonzalez Pires will be the the middle of the three center backs. But who's there as the right center back? Is it going to be Kelvin Leardam again? Yes, I think you. I mean, listen, you don't. You don't have. If you're Phil Neville right now, you don't have any options. So I think you go with with Leardham. Um, is he the best center back in the team? I don't think so. But you're asking a lot from him as well. You know, playing as a center back, and so I think that's the way to go. Um, in terms of Karen Gibbs, I think you need him in the game. Um, you know, he brings a lot more to the table. Um, Brick Shea, I think it's okay, but uh, if you if you're able to play Gibbs uh, in a place where you know the weather is not a factor, which it is always every time he plays here, he basically goes for sixty minutes the most, and that's stretching it a little bit. Um, you give him an opportunity to play there. Um, and, and after that, I think Robert Robinson will be coming back to the starting yeah. 11. Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, we were talking about this uh, on, on Monday. I like Juli Carranza a lot, but 
the reality is that, you know, he hasn't been able to take advantage of his opportunities. Whether he gets 20 minutes or he starts, I just haven't seen enough from him to, to make me believe that he actually deserves to start over Robbie Robinson, regardless of the of a tactical setup. So I think he, you also want to have Robbie Robinson um, as an outlet in the counterattack game. So I do believe Robbie Robinson will be coming back to the starting 11. I like to see Karen Gibbs in the middle. I think we, we talked about it already. There's not a lot you can change. And um, and in the back, you, you you know, that's that's the essence of this team right now. The, the, those five players in the back, at times they are three, I know. But, you know, that's a, that's a five-man back line. Yeah, so I think we agree on the starting lineup, but I do think Kelvin Leardam will play that right center back spot again. Obviously, it's not an ideal fit or an ideal situation, but Inter Miami is not in an ideal situation with, with regards to its players that are available. So this is the starting lineup that I think we both are agree. Oh, actually, no, we have a disagreement. You think Kieran Gibbs will start. I think Breck Shea starting. I just don't think the Inter-Miami coaching staff will look back at that game against Nashville FC and say Kieran Gibbs should start again because just his, his inability to track back at times, his lack of understanding with Christian McCoon left for acres of space. So I think Breck Shea will get to start. But besides that, I think we both agree with the starting lineup. So this is what I think. It'll be Nick Marsman in goal, Lewis Morgan at the right wing back. Your center back trio from right to left will be Kelvin Leardam, Leandro gonzalez Pires, and Christian McCoon. Left wing back, I think Breck Shea. Jose thinks it'll be Kieran Gibbs. Your midfield will be comprised of Jay Chapman and Blaise Matuidi. And up top, you have Rodolfo Pizarro on the right, Gonzalo Higuain at striker, and Robbie Robinson on the left. That's what we think will happen on Wednesday night. Jose, what is your prediction for this game? Does Inter Miami get it done and get closer to the playoff line, or does it become a little bit more distant with another frustrating defeat or draw? I think it's going to be a heartbreaker. I'm telling you that right now. It's going to be one nil until the 80th minute, and in the last 10 minutes of the game, Atlanta United will tie the game, and it's going to be a one-one result. A 1-1 draw. So Inter-Miami takes the lead in this one, huh? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think, you know, as, as as the saying goes in Spanish, siempre hay una primera vez. There's always a first time. I think this will be the first time Atlanta United beats Inter-Miami. I think it'll be 2-1. Two 2-1 to one. Two to one Atlanta United. I think they'll have the lead for much of the game. Maybe Inter-Miami pulls one back late to make it interesting, but I think Atlanta United wins this one. Just don't think defensively, even with the five at the back, I just I'm not sold on 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 the shape. I'm not sold on what I've seen from the recent performances. Kelvin Leardam, you know, he's not a center back. He can he can try to do the job, but there was there were moments, and I don't think he was the worst of the three center backs in the last game. I actually think he was the better of the three center backs in the last game. But he even had moments there where he didn't look great. He looked did not look comfortable because it's not his natural position. So it's understandable. But there were moments that someone with better quality punishes you for a goal. He he got away with one or two in that game. Again, I thought still he was the better of the three center backs because he didn't get kicked out of the game or ejected from the game like Gregory did. And he wasn't as poor as Christian McCoon was in one-on-one battles. But I still have my concerns. You know, if, if Atlanta United is game planning to target someone, I imagine it will be him so we'll see how it goes inter miami needs a win in a big big way so we'll see what phil neville and the team can do jose let's leave it there for now we'll take a quick break and we'll come back and review and analyze the most recent match a 5-0 defeat to nashville sc and we'll do that after this uh and at the moment we've got us we've got a, a, a little bit of a softness to our approach to defending because we want to play well with the football because we think oh we're, we're just going to be a possession-based team We've probably lost that mentality of actually wanting to defend and defend uh, first, and and they have that Nashville. You saw at the end, they they they, they put four or five men, they block shots, they slide in. That's what defenders should do, and that's what we need to get back. That's what we did when we went to Orlando twice. That's what we did when we played, you know, them games when we were four games with a clean sheet. We were putting our bodies on the line. We've just got a softness now that that we need to eradicate very quickly. Okay, Jose, now looking back to the most recent game, Inter-Miami suffered, again, just to reiterate, that 5-1 to defeat at home at Drive Pink Stadium to Nashville SC last 
Wednesday. This was the starting lineup in the game. Nick Marsman in goal. Lewis Morgan as the right wing back. Your center back trio was a makeshift patchwork defense. You had Kelvin Leardam as the right center back. You had Gregory dropping in as the middle of the three center backs, something you said could be an option, and it ended up being the case. And then at the left center back spot, you had Christian McCoon. At left wing back, you had Kieran Gibbs. The midfield pair was Blaze Matuidi and Jay Chapman. Victor Ulloa still out with the injury. He will still be out for the injury on Wednesday's game, so he's not an option to start nor come off the bench. And then up top, the starting three were Gonzalo Higuain at the striker position and on the wings, you had Julian Carranza and Rodolfo Pizarro on the wings on the right and left respectively. So that was the look that that they went with. It didn't work out. Inter Miami fell behind six minutes into this one. It only took six minutes for Nashville to score their first goal. Poor defending there. The second goal comes late in the first half. Nick Marsman drops the ball and... It's a big error on his part. And then, you know, Walker Zimmerman just towers over everybody else and, and nods home the ball on the ensuing cross. Just an ugly performance overall for Inter-Miami. They do make it interesting or somewhat interesting at 3-1 to one with that goal, that aforementioned goal between Pizarro and Higuain. But they get they get blown out late. Gregory also gets sent off in the 87th minute, if I'm not mistaken, with the second yellow card. Inter-Miami appealed that yellow card. It has been rescinded. He will be available for this weekend's game against the Portland Timbers, but he's out for the Atlanta United game because of yellow card accumulation on the season. So, Jose, what was the biggest takeaway from this game? Because Inter-Miami just, once again, was very dreadful defensively. Yeah, well, listen, I, I, I think there's there are so many things that we can talk about this game because, you know, energy was not there early on. That's one. Um, Nashville play a very good game, second. Um, individual errors, third. But my takeaway from this game, and, um, you know, I don't want people to believe that now I am a Pepita Wayne follower or <laughs> believer, um, because I still think... He needs to do more. And we know you have. We know you have a Gonzalo Higuain Inter Miami jersey in your in your bedroom, <laughs> <laughs> in a plaque somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, so I think you know, even with the result and everything, I think the positive sign for for this team is the leadership that Pipita showed. I mean, clearly, even when the team was down uh, by three goals. He was still fighting like, you know, it was a, a tie game, a playoff game. And I really like that. I really, really like that because um, that that level of commitment, you know, it's it's something that is going to help the team moving forward. And I'm just hoping that, you know, they still have enough time to make up the ground. And, uh, and even in the defeat, having your best player or your top player perform at that level um, it's a very good sign. The disappointing part is that, you know, the rest of the team was not able to feed off that. Yeah. And that's a little surprising to me because we talked before about Pipita not being there, um, not fighting for every single, single, ball, single ball, complaining with his teammates. We talked about that early on in the season. Now that has changed. And um, unfortunately, against Nashville, you know, that wasn't enough for the rest of his teammates. So hopefully, you know, Phil saw that and, and the rest of the team saw that. And, and they, they, they will be able to put a good performance against Atlanta because I, I do believe the team uh, needs to do a little bit more um, for, for your DPs and especially Pipit in this case to be effective as well. I agree that he showed the effort that maybe other players did not show or the attitude that other players by and large did not show. Phil Neville did note that in his pregame press conference talked about how you know Gonzalo Higuain's commitment and his 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 attitude. He didn't use these exact words, but he was just saying that that how Iguain performed was definitely a bright spot in this game. But overall, it was a, a disaster, and it was terrible showing from the team. Five to one at home after a four to zero loss at home, so two four goal defeats back to back. It just looked again like that team that we saw in the beginning of the season 
It just didn't function. Now, everyone's going to point the finger at the defense. There were individual errors. There were there was lack of communication and understanding between players. At least, you know, that, that was my analysis. I thought Kieran Gibbs was was just not on the same page as Christian McCoon, and I think that, that led to at least a couple of goals. But the whole team, in general, just did not function well for long enough. There were moments when the attack had the ball and they tried to generate some things. There was that first half shot that went off the post from Gonzalo Higuain off of a feed from Rodolfo Pizarro. But I think you and I agreed that that pass was initially meant for Julian Carranza. That <laughs> Gonzalo Higuain just, just made the darting run and, and, and took the ball um, and, and obviously made the play. So I don't even think that that was, a, that was actually intended. Now the goal obviously does come from a nice, again, nice one-two, nice wall pass. Nice combination there in the center of the park. You need to see more of that from Inter-Miami. You need to see more of that from the DPs because we haven't seen enough of that this this year. If they can get more of that, if they can get those two to be on the same page like they did on that play against Nashville SC, I think Inter-Miami has a much better chance to make the playoffs because you need your DPs to make a difference. You need, In this league, you need those yeah. players to regularly make a difference. When I asked Phil Neville about that on Monday, he said... We're always trying to get more out of both of them. So, you know, if they can find a way to get them going like they did in this Nashville game, then absolutely I think they, they stand a good chance to try to get into the playoff spot. If they don't, I think that the challenge becomes that much di- more difficult. But there's 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 one more thing, Franco, that I, that I like to add. And sure. I think this is a good topic of conversation. And, and hopefully people will, will comment about this because I, I like to – to know if if it's just me or if it's everybody else, but I think offensively, Inter Miami they are way too predictable right now. Um, it, listen, it, it's all about Pipite Wayne coming back, um, getting the ball from either midfielder, and trying to make a combination in the middle, and whenever it works. It ends up with Pipite Wain um, having to move past two or three defenders to taking the shot. And that's basically it. That's all we saw against Nashville. So, of course, teams are going to notice that. And if you stop that for Inter-Miami, then basically you're really, really comfortable moving forward because you know exactly what Inter-Miami is going to do. We saw very little on the right side from Lewis Morgan, very little on the left side from either Gibbs or, or break Shea in that game. So it, it seemed to me like Nashville was very, very comfortable when it, when it came to defending uh, uh, inter Miami. So it was very predictable to me. And, and listen, I completely get it that Pipiti Wayne want, wants to get touches and he wants to be involved and that's good. That's great. But, you need to find a way to involve some other players and find some other way to attack other than doing the same thing over and over again. Wouldn't you agree? So I agree with you, but look, I think this team, and we've talked about it over the course of the season at different moments, maybe not so much as of late because they had been on a good run of form, but this team is a pretty poorly constructed team. And that comes from the expansion season and Inter Miami is going to have to work out of that. You can't just make wholesale changes in one or two transfer windows in this league just because of the salary cap and the salary budget. So this is a poorly constructed team, and they don't have a whole lot of ways to be that dangerous in the attack. Do they have that many technical players? I would say no. I don't know what other people's opinions are, but I would say no. Gonzalo Higuain is pretty technical. Rolfo Pizarro is as well. But besides that, I don't really know how many more technical players are are in the, within the team. Now, do they have super athletic players in the team? I would also say no. Lewis Morgan's quick. Robbie Robinson's quick. But who else really has some wheels on this team? Again, I leave that I leave that question for you guys out there to to think about or to answer. So I think this team is very limited in what it can do with the ball. I think it's no secret, or it's no coincidence, excuse me, that their best run of form came when they became very defensively solid and kept zeros at the back or or became tougher to break down and then got some opportunistic goals and and found some chances at the other end. And this is not a team that has really, at any point this season, aside from maybe the game at home against Toronto FC, which was the last place team in the East, it's not a team that has been like, wow, it never transmits that feeling of like, wow, that's a team that's really taking it to the other team and 
is is really impressive and looks like the dominant side. Very, very few moments have we seen that from Inter-Miami. So I think what happened over these last two games is defensively there were some pieces missing. There was also you know some issues there that happened both tactically and with personnel and people losing their cool and making mistakes. It was just a you know a, a perfect storm of 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 mistakes and that came back to haunt into Miami in two games, losing by a combined score of nine to one. That in and of itself is pretty mind boggling. You know, you you can get beat by such a one sided margin in one game but back-to-back games in this point of the season and both games at home that's very concerning man that's very concerning you could chalk one up to being a one-off tired legs whatever the reasoning is for that one but to happen in back-to-back games at this critical juncture in the season is is pretty alarming and I think I think I get the sense that you know, it's it's really hurt Inter Miami's chances, and that they think so behind the scenes. That it's really hurt their chances of of making this playoff push because you know Phil Neville had said weeks ago that just winning the rest of the home games would not be enough for the team to make the playoffs. That they needed to also get some points away from home, and they did that against Toronto with the with the dramatic late victory with the Christian McCoon penalty kick, and they were in a good way. Everything was 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 in positive spirits. Team was doing well. They announced the jersey sponsor. And then they come home where they, they expected, I'm sure, to get six points. And they get zero. They get zero. So that really hurts them. And now it's getting a lot more complicated. I'm sure they're, they're doing the math. Sacando la calculadoras. They're whipping out the calculators and figuring out, well, we're not going to be able to win every single game. So let's see how many we can get here and there while we can. So, you know, I, I won't t- task you with doing that here. But... You know, get your calculator ready, Jose, because I'm going to ask you soon for some numbers to, so for what you think they need to get to the playoffs. But just quickly going back into the to the to the Nashville SC game, what did you think happened overall? What do you think has happened to the team over these last two games? Because I know Phil Neville chalked it up to individual mistakes, and there were some there, but I think it's more than that. I think that there's more to it than just individual mistakes. I think individual mistakes are a byproduct. Of something else. And I've explained what I think it is. Just the team not, not being a good fit. Defensively, there were a lot of issues. Missing players, etc., etc. What did you chalk it up to, Jose? Well, listen, I think it was important that they were not off to a good start. And they were not off to a good start. Not only, not only because they conceded goals early on in the game. But because the energy level was not there. And I wonder if there was a factor of... Um, you know, they, they, they had quite a busy schedule and they did not have most of their players um, defensively that they would have started in, in an ideal scenario. And so I don't know if that played a factor mentally within the game. Well, you know, it's, they're all, they're human. So, you know, they can easily think what we're thinking, what we were thinking when we were watching the game, which is, okay, they considered goals early and they don't have enough on the field. So how are they going to move past this? So I don't know if that was the case and mentally that played a factor as well within the game and they were not able to recover because the energy was not there. And listen, they did not deserve to win that game. That's the reality. Whether you look at the first 15 minutes or whether you look at the full 90, they did not did enough. And they were playing at home and they, there needed to be a sense of urgency and it wasn't there. Um, so, you know, that's just the reality of that game. To me, this game, if, you, if I look at the score, um, I look at uh, at Nashville as well. The way they play, the way the way they were able to just control every single aspect of the game, and um, I think Nashville deserved that to to win the game. Absolutely, what's, absolutely. What's what's a little bit what what makes me think twice about the future of Inter Miami is the game before that, and we talked about it already in the podcast. So. Um, the combination of these two games, obviously, is worst-case scenario for Inter-Miami. But I think they can recover from the last one. I think they can recover from the last one with a good game on Wednesday. And, you know, you cannot start the season over. But if you're able to get good performances on this four-game road trip, I think this is it. You know, when Inter-Miami comes back home, I think we we will have a clear scenario of of 
what the playoff picture looks for Inter Miami, if there's any. I think these four games, you know, you were talking about bringing the calculator out. <laughs> well, I think we should do it next podcast. Depending on what happens on Wednesday, I think we should have that conversation because okay. if not, we might not even have it at all. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair point. This four-game road trip will be uh well, it's not not just a straight road trip but this four game road swing will be very very decisive for Inter Miami's playoff hopes i want to just quickly touch on on this one last point from this game i think the team lacked belief i think they lacked confidence they knew that they were depleted especially on that back line they knew that they were missing key players and then giving up goal a goal 6 minutes in like you mentioned just completely, completely brought down their level of confidence. And I think they also lacked those leaders at the back, the Leandro Gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Figal, who are center backs, who lead by example, but also with their voice, especially Leandro Gonzalez Pires. I think you didn't have that organizing player or that organizer back there to really help lead the line. Gregory's the captain, so he can do his part. But I imagine with him also trying to figure out how to play the center back position and try to put fires out from somewhere he's not most comfortably playing in, I think that maybe had reduced his ability to lead and, and really, you know, be vocal and an organizing presence. I think that they really missed having Leandro Gonzalez Pires and Nicolas Figal, obviously because of their skill, but just also because of the leadership that they bring and their ability to, to communicate and, and guide that back line. You know, fill holes here, move up, move back, etc., etc. So I think that that's part of it as well. In addition to giving up an early goal and then confidence, just just going from there. Because look at the attitude from most of the team, like you said, and look at the attitude of Gonzalo Iguain. Gonzalo Iguain displayed a very defiant attitude, a very no. Let's try to let's try to find a way. He didn't maybe always come up with the right play or the right pass and wasn't maybe always precise, but you saw a desire from him where as much of the rest of the team, they just look very, very lackluster. But we'll leave it there, Jose. We have the Q&A session to jump into still, so we'll do that after this. Okay, PS4 Jose, I had not called you that yet on the podcast this <laughs> week, so I uh, had to do so there. But it's Q&A time. Let's jump right into it. And the first question comes from Eric Yanis. In your opinion, with the consistent goal shortage, does Neville get put on notice from the club that he's not getting the job done? And what options does the club have for finding more scores in the off season? Jose, do you want to start or do you want me to start? Yeah, I can start. Okay. Um, well, it's a two-part question. Um I think for now, I think Phil, you know, is uh, it's he's comfortable. I think they're letting him do his thing. Um, it's obviously, you know, every year is challenging, but I think this year, especially for 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 Inter Miami, they have had quite a lot of uh, trouble finding a system early on in the season, and that's why they they have been struggling. And maybe the next phase of the game for for Phil and for Inter Miami is trying to find some of the offensive consistency that you need to actually be fighting for titles in MLS. And the second part when it comes to how this team is going to look moving forward, uh, listen, it, it's hard to predict. I think it all depends on, on on all the budget situations that the team is going to have to adjust coming, coming the next couple of seasons. Um, I think you, you're pretty much set on, on Pipite Wayne, so... I, I would think the team will try to build around him and just trying to give him opportunities and not continue with this trend that forces Pipita to come back and uh, to get touches. I think the team wants Pipita to be the goal scorer, that player inside the box. What he actually said early on in the season that he wanted to be. Um, so I think that they'll go that way. I think they're, they're trying to build around him to make him successful in MLS. 
I think that we'll see a new number 10 come in. I think Rodolfo Pizarro's days are numbered. I've said that multiple times on this podcast. Whether, you know, you agree with the sentiment that he should go, I think that he will go just because he's the only of the 3DPs that really has any type of sell-on factor or resell value because the other players, Matuidi and Higuain, are older and they're in a later stage in their career, no one's really going to come in and pay a transfer fee for them. I think Pizarro, maybe a team in Mexico, someone will be interested in, and come in and buy him. So I think bringing in a new number 10 that's maybe of a different style, of a different mold, I think that helps create maybe more opportunities within the team and, and maybe the, that player himself can also score goals. So I think that's an option. I think Higuain's going to stick around for another season. I believe his contract runs for another year through the 2022 campaign so I think he'll still be around and they'll try to find a number 10 that can maybe play better to his strengths and and raise his level as well so I think that's that's the that's the plan that's what I imagine that Inter Miami will look to do this offseason as for does Phil Neville get put on notice from the club that he's not getting the, getting the job done with you know the consistent goal shortage look I'm I imagine that Phil Neville has talks on a regular weekly if not daily basis with Chris Henderson the sporting director that's normal for those relationships sporting directors and head coaches talk I'm sure they have very honest conversations about what they think is the team's strengths weaknesses where they're doing well and where they're not doing well and what needs to improve I'm sure they have those conversations often now is it more of a hey if you don't pick this up you're in trouble type of situation or is it more of an honest talk I think it's more of the latter than the former I think Phil Neville will be here through the end of this season and into 2022 and beyond I don't see him being let go regardless of if you think he should or not so next question comes from Elder Barr and he says it's similar to the last one Rate the DPs and new additions for this season. What influence has Henderson made so far? And is Phil's son a refuerzo or just a patch to cover up the lack of options in the team? So a refuerzo means, you know, a reinforcement, Spanish for reinforcement. But Jose, do you want to start there or do you want me to begin? On you can one? start on this one. Okay, so I'll rate the DPs. I will rate the DPs from what I think we've seen for them. And I will say Gonzalo Higuain's been the best. Although he hasn't been great the entire time, but he's been the best of the three. I think after him, Rodolfo Pizarro. He hasn't been great this season. Very few moments where he's had his sparks and created some things in the final third. You need more from him. But I think his start in 2020 was was a good one. Not the best, not the greatest, but it was a good one. He was scoring some goals. He was the one that the team was playing through. He was involved, got a lot of touches. Opposite of what's happening now where he gets a lot less touches. He's out on the wing now, not in the central number 10 position. So all that said, I still think overall he's been number two. Blaze Matuidi has been the worst of the 3DPs for me. Just has not brought it, has not been as influential, has not been as dominant as you would expect someone of his caliber, of his pedigree, of his resume, and of his salary to do. So for out of the DPs, Blaze Matuidi has been the worst one. For me, as for the new additions, Gregory's been the best for me. I think Nicky Marsman, last game aside, he had a very poor game. Two very big individual errors in that one. I think he's he's probably next in line. And- yeah, absolutely. Listen, I will go over the over the couple of questions, but and I'll give you exactly the same answer. So. <laughs> 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 Why waste time? <laughs> I, have, I agree 100% with you. I have a... You know, we do tend to agree a lot. Sometimes we disagree. We, we we disagreed on Monday when we spoke in person. But I have an idea for how we might see a little bit more disagreement on this pod in future episodes. I'll just leave that there. I won't say what it is just yet. But I have an idea for how to do that. And just stay tuned. Stay tuned. I think it'll be an interesting wrinkle <laughs> and an interesting element that will be brought on to Miami Total Football Radio. Just to touch on the other the other question from Elder Bar, is Phil Sun a refuerzo or just a patch to cover the lack of options in the team? Right now, he's on the USL team. Right now, he's just there to help make up bodies in training. But I fully expect, and this is not information, this is just supposition, my sensation from the outside, I fully expect Harvey Neville to earn an MLS contract at some point with Hinter Miami. Fully expect that. Phil Neville even name-dropped Harvey Neville as one of the players that, that could be in the mix for a, a first-team spot next season. So 
the team is definitely going to tap into that USL League One side, try to bring up maybe up to five to six players, something Phil Neville said Monday after we saw quite a bit of players from the USL team training with the first team to help make up numbers. We saw Aime Abika, Romeo Beckham, Harvey Neville. We saw a bunch of players from the USL team with the first team, and I, I would expect Harvey Neville to, in the future, be a refuerzo, a, a, a reinforcement. Jose, anything you want to add there? Well, I have yet to watch him play, so um, I, I will I will do my homework and I will watch him play if if, uh, if I get the chance, of course. And um, and I'll have something more to say because you know it, it would be easy for me to say, well, he's Phil's Neville's um, son and he will play no matter what, but I think that wouldn't be fair to him, so. Um, I'm gonna watch him play and see and see how it goes. But listen, comments are are very good, and and hopefully you know they translate to the field. I think he he's gonna get an opportunity with the with uh, the USL League One side, and uh, like you mentioned, you know we saw quite a few players with the first team, and that's that's a very good start because that means that you're actually ready to compete with them in the training sessions, and that means you're one step away from. From making it onto the uh, onto an MLS field, so I I think that that is part of it, but I think it's just help to help them make up bodies because they're so thin. They're so thin with the players that are missing, with the players that are injured. I think that they're just so thin that they're already starting to get them incorporated, maybe a little bit earlier than they expected. Phil Noble said that they will be around for much of the rest of the season. I think it's one to help prepare them for what's to come in twenty twenty two. And I also think it's to help Inter Miami just have the well, bodies yeah. to be able to train properly in in in, in their practice sessions but, because they they just you don't have, have the numbers. Ready. You have to be ready, right? Because how many players are there available in USL League One? There are quite a few. If you need uh, five, six, you you right. Have but to there's only there's only five, certain ones. Players. Yeah, but there's only certain ones that they that they know or they talk about behind the scenes that they project as being players that can can partake in the first team with Inter Miami on a longer term vision. Like there are players on the right. on the USL League One team, Fort Lauderdale CF, that are older, that might be more polished right now than, you know, a Romeo Beckham or a Harvey Neville, but they don't fit into the longer term plan, so they're not going to be seen in these training sessions. I don't I don't imagine. So it, it's just a case of what their longer term vision is, what the team's longer term vision is. And, you know, I expect I expect that this is a this will be something that will benefit the team in 2022, but also it helps benefit them right now because they just don't have the numbers to to have the training training sessions that they want. Hopefully next year we get to watch preseason games. This is me complaining right here. Just in <laughs> <case>. <laughs> hopefully next year we we get to watch preseason be, because it is going to be really interesting and somewhere somehow. Um, MLS teams, they have to understand that watching preseason for media, it is very important. Very, very important. That's how you build the team in preseason. So we need to watch those games and have a clear understanding of where the team is going. Okay, that's it. That's it. I'm going to complain. I'm that's, done. That's you putting in the complaint into the complaint box for Inter Miami. Last question comes from Lloyd Helbrun. How many games has this team lost due to suspensions of their better players from stupid yellow or red cards? Oh, well, that's a tough question. Um, I think more than they should. Yeah, if he's asking asking for an exact number, I mean, I would have to really sit and think. I mean, there was that DC United game on the road where Gregory and Ryan Shawcross got ejected but and you're always going to be missing players franco yeah. you know there's only quite a few games in which you have the starting 11 that you actually want yeah. so uh, but i think maybe the the question goes to you know la- the lack of discipline maybe of players getting yellow cards and red cards cons- constantly i think when it comes to figal in his last red card i did not like that one a lot at, at all and um, and if that's the the, the, the question, uh, I think that's something that needs to be addressed moving forward. Um, but yeah, it, it obviously plays a factor. We we just saw it again in the game against Nashville, not having two of your center backs. You know, you're giving an advantage to to the opponent. Yeah, look, I, I want to say this because I, I think 
clearly when you have players that are getting unnecessary second yellows or ejections, that's obviously a concern. But I think there's a reason why Leandro Salespides and Gregory each have 11 yellow cards, and I think Nicolas Figal, I don't remember exactly what his number is right now, if it's 7 or 9, but I think there's a reason why the numbers are so high, and I think it's because Inter-Miami is such a defensive team that they're forced into more defensive actions and that they've been forced to do more breaking up than maybe other center backs across the league have to do because they're under pressure or they don't have the ball as often. So they're forced into making plays maybe a bit more than other players are. And that obviously leads to some fouls. It's just part of defending. That's going to lead to some fouls and some fouls are going to lead to, to yellow cards. Obviously you want to, bring those numbers down. It's not great to see that that high, but I think it's just also a byproduct, not only of maybe their their frustration levels and their maybe lack of discipline in moments, I also think it's a byproduct of the team just not being all that great with the ball and them having to defend a lot more. Something else we didn't touch on is the lack of depth that this team has. And, you know, I said before that it's not a very well-constructed roster, but I think that the lack of options that they have have also come back to to really bite them. They have said that they think this is a deep team. There's two players for every position, but I never really saw that on paper as being true. I, and that was one of my main concerns for this team coming into the year. Whereas other teams improved their benches and their starting lineups, Inter-Miami didn't really make that many additions. They signed a few young players. They, they did sign Gregory, Indiana Vasilev halfway through the year. Nick Marsman came halfway through the year. Karen Gibbs as well. But the bench options, the ones that were on the bench, I did not see them as being all too strong and all too convincing so i think that's also come into play here that does it for the q a session jose we have our final thoughts to give i will start here i don't know what your final thought is but i do want to talk about this as well so if you want to make it your final thought by piggybacking off of what i'm saying that's cool if not you can of course give your own separate final thought but Ryan Shawcross is out for the rest of the season. That was news that came out late last week after the match against Nashville SC. And it sounds to me, and this is just, again, my interpretation of what we heard at Monday's press conference, it sounds to me like Ryan Shawcross's career might be coming to an end. Not information, I'll reiterate, just my supposition from the outside, just my 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 sensation from the outside, because... When Phil Neville was talking about how they got to the point of deciding that Ryan Shawcross needed surgery, he went into a lengthy, detailed response about how they got there. Obviously, he picked up the injury in August, didn't have surgery until late September. So there was, at some point, the belief that they could maybe recover him and get him back for the last part of the season. But that's not the case. He had back surgery. And Phil Neville said, now it, right now it becomes a matter of being able to do the mundane things in daily life, being able to get up, put your clothes on, etc., etc. So it sounds to me like Brian Shawcross's career is, could be over just because of the injuries he's picked up, not only this season, but over the last few years. He had talked about contemplating retirement earlier this year before he joined Inter-Miami, that it was something that crossed his mind. But then the deal with Inter-Miami came up and, and he took up on it to continue his career. But now with more injuries, I think... I think this might be the time where he says, all right, enough's enough. I need to just look out for myself as a person now and, and you know, hang up the boots after a, a pretty successful career. So we'll see what happens with him, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's it for Ryan Shawcross's time with Inter-Miami and as a professional player. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it in South Florida, but I want to show some love to the Miami FC crowd. Um, hopefully we're past the stage in which, you know, Inter-Miami fans and Miami FC fans are fighting and just trying to be rivals and all that because, come on, different leagues, different teams, and Miami FC is represented South Florida well. They won 6-1 over the weekend uh, after a rain delay. I think it was close to two hours of a rain delay, but they were able to win 6-1. to they are they are on their way to the playoffs, so they're doing things the right way this year, and hopefully they keep it that way. So I'm gonna close out with that. People get to watch a little, go and watch a little bit of Miami FC whenever Inter Miami is not playing because they are an exciting team to watch. So giving some love and here in South Florida. Okay, well then that does it for this podcast. We will be back again later this week to 
recap and review the match against Atlanta United, the very big match against Atlanta United. We will also preview the upcoming game against the Portland Timbers on the weekend on Sunday. Should be an interesting one as well just because of the Portland Timbers and their skills and their qualities and their environment and atmosphere at their stadium, which is always, always great. So we'll come back later in the week and do that. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Please don't forget to give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Also leave us a review if you have not already, please. And give us a follow on all our social media channels as well if you haven't already. For Jose Armando, I am Franco Pelizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. And we'll talk to you guys again very soon.